0: Welcome to Harmonic Horizons, where we explore new realms and possibilities in sound. In each episode, we'll delve into the vast world of music and sound, discovering innovative techniques, emerging genres, and the untold stories behind the notes. I'm Chris from Signs of Life. I'm an ambient music producer and content creator from the Bay Area in California. I'm the co-founder of Symphera Records, and I release music as Signs of Life, Starterra, and Ascendant.
1: What's up, guys? I'm John. I teach audio and sound design and how synthesizers work. And today we have a really cool guest joining us. Today our guest is... Hey, I'm Dash Glitch. I'm
2: a music producer, a YouTuber, and sound designer. i probably most well-known for my vital tutorials. <laughs> otherwise, yep, some Bitwig stuff, all sorts of uh, sound design tutorials on YouTube. Otherwise, I do have like sound packs and that kind of thing that I do. Um, otherwise, yeah, just general music production stuff. I've been producing music ever since I can remember over 10 years now, uh, well over 10 years now, actually. And yeah, we're here to
0: talk about uh, my journey, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Dash, I, first of all, I want to say for myself, John, and probably everybody who's going to watch and listen to the show, thank you. Um, you've been a huge help on our own uh, musical journey. Um, you, you know, your your tutorials are always so inspiring and You know, they're very informative and they have a good flow to them. So hats off from the whole audio community. Thank you for doing what you do. Absolutely, Yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, And, you know, to that to that end, I really want to figure out, you know, who is Dash Glitch? Like, where did your journey begin and how did you arrive at the musical place you are today?
2: Okay, so I guess that's quite a quite an open ended question. Um, We could start with... um, I guess the very beginning I've always really been uh, into music as a child um, I, I come from a household where my mom is an art teacher and my father is a musician so it was one or the other uh, it was definitely a creative field for me um, I kind of explored a little bit of piano and drums uh, when I was younger but at the time i guess the teaching uh, in those styles uh, or in those instruments wasn't really uh, fulfilling for me i kind of always knew that i wanted to make full songs you know when i listened to music i kind of envisioned uh, full songs and and uh, the sounds in the process as opposed to just performing right. uh, which is a lot of the time what you would learn uh, in in music so um after a couple of years of music, I kind of gave up with it um you know went through school and everything, and then uh got to the end of school and you know you're f- faced with a choice of like what do you do now and i'm like, mm. you know well <laughs> there's that thing I was kind of like a bit of a um a, a lazy punk at the time, and wanted to pick the kind of easiest option and I was like, you know well, there was that thing there was that music thing that I was into um And I started kind of diving into it and realized that um, I had kind of like this uh, deeper passion for it that I kind of like left unexplored. Um, So I guess for a little bit, I'd been playing in bands and stuff as well and learned a little bit about the recording process of, uh, you know, like recording guitars, recording drums and all that kind of thing. And so when I finished school, I decided to study audio engineering Uh, where you learn to record bands and uh, mixing and all that kind of thing. But I still kind of felt a little bit unfulfilled in terms of, like, uh, where I wanted to go, like, in the profession, if you know what I mean. Because I guess at the time there wasn't really much uh, of – there wasn't content. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't anything like that. So I kind of finished the course – Uh, worked in a couple of studios but the industry wasn't really big locally so moved on to working in local music shops for quite a while probably about uh, eight years to ten years I worked in a couple of different music shops around town and I guess that was probably the biggest uh, part of the journey in terms of like my networking Being able to uh, buy gear because people would buy gear and then they wouldn't sell it. So I would have the opportunity to then buy it secondhand. And um, it was just a great opportunity because, you know, for myself, I was like um, still young at the time, couldn't really afford the expensive gear and stuff. So that was a kind of really good opportunity. And I kind of just spent the time after hours learning uh, the different software and stuff and one day I discovered a thing called serum and Mm. I guess that's when it was like (laughs) yes (laughs) um, I would literally like sit in the office with my laptop like trying to figure this thing out and like you know on uh, I hope the boss is not watching this you know like on the boss's hours like trying to figure this thing out and um, I got to the point where um, actually to backtrack a little bit I was like I started getting into electronic music as well um, at the time and also discovered uh, Fruity Loops. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my the beginning of my journey basically started with Fruity Loops, but I basically just had a demo version, which I downloaded and I had experience with like recording bands to tapes because we had uh, at the time we had this like Tascam tape recorder. So I would, like, do a session in Fruity Loops and just record it to tape and then not save the session. And so I kind of built this habit of, like, uh, designing sounds, like, every time, you know, like, recreating a kick drum every time, recreating a bass line every time. And I guess that habit kind of, like, uh, helped me to learn, like, the really, like, the differences of what each... Knob does like what does the resonance do? What does the cutoff do? Because you're really listening to the finer details like over and over and over again, like on repeat, you know. Um let's see, where where are we in the journey now? Okay, so um and this is all in
0: South Africa, yes? This is all in in... Yeah, yeah. This
2: is I've I've basically lived in South Africa my whole life. Um Mm -hmm. So this has all been in South Africa. The music industry here is um, it's thriving in terms of the inspiration, but there is not much of an industry, put it that way. There's incredible artists and, like, incredible music here, but there's not much of an industry here for, for the artists and stuff. So um, I started exploring, like... Uh, the internet, which was still, I guess, fresh um, at the time. And I started posting stuff online, tracks that I'm making. Um, and then also um, started playing gigs in the local scene. And um, eventually started garnering my own students, excuse me. So, which would like come in for a session and I would teach them about uh, fruity loops or Um, At the time, i had actually just bought Cubase. I think it was Cubase 5 or Cubase 6 at the time. Um, So I started teaching very kind of basic uh, music production lessons with Cubase. um, Also with Serum, which I'd started learning. Um, And eventually it got to the point where I didn't really have the time. I kind of had too many students and not enough time for the extra hours while I was kind of working the job and stuff. So I had the idea of like making a video. And so people, if they'd say, oh, how do I do this? I could just send them the link and just send them the link rather than having mm. to do the lesson a hundred times. You do it once and you can send it to a hundred people. And so i was like, oh my gosh, this is a brainwave, you know? <laughs> so I did the lesson and I posted it on YouTube and like within a few days, I think it had like a couple of thousand views and I was like, "Whoa, holy shit. Okay. This what, is something. What, what year was this
1: that you were doing that? Uh,
2: so I I don't quite remember because I actually started the YouTube channel very long ago while I was working in the music shop. And mm. I would like post a video of like me playing on a synth or random nonsense, you know. Um, so I don't really have a good idea of when exactly I started posting the the good content because I have removed some of it and reposted some of it and stuff. But I would guess it was probably about five years ago. No. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was when I, like, posted the first, like, big one when I I realized, like, okay, actually, you know, this is something that I could, like, dedicate time to. Yeah. And so, actually, um, at the time, I also had a third side, a second side hustle um, where I was making DIY vape liquid. I see you vaping there, so you probably... Um, i made it all myself. I know exactly the, what you're talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. with the scales,
1: the flavors. Oh, so yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah. So at the time, also, the scene was very uh, kind of... Um, it was still starting out and stuff, so there wasn't much industry around it. So yep. I was kind of making a little bit of a side hustle um, doing that as well. So I was like, you know what? Like I could do this side hustle and really push the YouTube thing and just like leave the job. And like... In retrospect, it's probably such a crazy idea because, like, (laughs) it was an absolute leap of faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. An absolute leap of faith. And, like, I was just pondering on this idea for a while. And I'd have customers come in um, who were, like, famous musicians in the local area. And I would tell them my idea. And they were like, you know what, dude? Take the jump. you got to just take the jump. you got to do it. Because, like, one day you're going to think, why didn't I do it? You know? And I was like, Okay. And I like signed my resignation and handed it in. And I was like, now I've got nothing to lose. I got to
0: just like do the content. Wow, you and did it. That That's crazy. <laughs> that's a jump. That's yeah, what Dash yeah, so. told me. He, he personally told me the same advice. He's like, he said, Patreon worked for me. So just do it. Like, And that's what inspired me to go on my journey.
1: Wow. So. Did that almost feel like, like probably scary at the same time, but almost in a weird way, relieving. Right. Because you, you, you sign this paper, you give it over. And then now you're on your own 100%. It's, it's up to you. you. You are your boss, right? You set your hours. You set how much work you do. It's all on you. If you if you succeed, that's great. If you fail, but that's also on you. That's got to be a crazy feeling to to feel, right? Yeah, so I won't lie. There, there were a couple of like scrapes
2: along the way. So like a couple of months, I was like, I had to sell gear just to, to like make it through. Mm. But I was super lucky in that I'd worked in the music, uh, in the music field, in shops specifically. So I kind of built up, like more gear than I kind of needed. So, you know, that wasn't too much of a knock.
1: Do you know what I mean? So, mm. yeah, yeah. We made wow, it. So <laughs> was there, was there a point where like, so after you turn in that letter and then you're grinding and then is there a certain point where almost, I guess the, uh, I guess the graph on this whole thing, if that makes any sense, where it starts to take off and you're like, Holy crap, this actually did work like this. This is actually my job now. Like how long from when you send that resignation till you felt that feeling?
2: So I guess it's 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 difficult to look back because I guess there's been a couple of pivots along the way. Um, I guess one of the big ones was vital, like just, uh, you know, vital existing Um, because the serum content that I did, I guess I didn't really there was a lot of stuff out there. Right. So I didn't really push myself to really get to the deepest level. Because I knew that there was already content out there where the people had already got to that point, you know. But when Agreed. Vital came yeah. out, I was like, I could be that guy. You know what I mean? I could
1: do that video that mm-hmm. goes to that deep level. You know? It's funny. I think of you when I think about Vital. It's it's interesting. I don't know if <laughs> anybody's ever told you that. But Synonymous. yeah. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I get it a lot. (laughs) I wish they would think of the developer.
1: (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Right. I just, it's weird how that turns out. But yeah, Yeah, anytime we search like search vital, I always see stuff come up and it's interesting because you do, I guess things that are kind of out of the box. Like it's not basic patches, like how to do this. Like you actually make people think and give good ideas and you're like, wow, you you almost re-envision, reinvent the wheel of how, if that's a weird term to say, but like you basically make us think about different Possibilities we can do in in synths because they all kind of basically do the same thing, right? There's designing sound, obviously. But like, there's some weird techniques to do. I'm like, holy crap, I've never
0: thought about doing that. And, and it's, it's not just, just vital. I mean, every synth that he covers, I'm always like, it's so eye opening. Phase uh, plant included. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's amazing. I've never thought of doing it like that. And yeah, you've opened my eyes up to many things. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's a question that,
1: um, so I, I made a video a l- little bit ago about what people's desert island synths are, right? And a lot of people have interesting opinions to share. So instead of just one, so you mentioned first serum, right, for for your journey. I think we all can remember the day we have we got serum, right. That's kind of an iconic day in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And then vital as well. So like it, in exception to those, is there any other three sense that you kind of go for, or is it kind of just like I'll pick whatever I'm in the mood for, whatever fits the track the best? Or is there three sense that you're like these are my guys?
2: So I would I would say um, phase plant, just because. Um, it, it can do basically everything. Yeah. Um, to be honest, lately, as much as I love Vital and like it is and it will always be the one because it's free and it's so accessible. Mm-hmm. I find myself using it a bit less because a lot of the things that it can do, I can do in phase plant. So if you had to put a gun to my head and say, choose one of these, I would go with phase plant just because of the features Um, but if, if money was the option, like vital would be the obvious choice because it's free. Yeah. Um, I would personally choose serum just because there's a couple of things in there that just make patching a little bit quicker, like the multi filters and certain things like that. You can get some really crazy sounds really quickly. Um, and as much as like, you can go a few steps further in vital serum is just so good for that. Like quick sore lead quick you know just quickly quick anything mm-hmm. um it's just really really good for that um also the wavetable editor i think doesn't yes, quite absolutely. get as much um uh, love as it deserves there's certain things there that it can still do that a lot of the other wavetable editors still can't do um like remove fundamental and that kind of thing i guess it's a simple process with eqs but um just like extra stuff like that is really cool in Serum, so I find myself using the combination of Serum's wavetable editor with Phase Plant for the more advanced effects and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would say the third choice would probably be Current, just because it's a bit interesting. Weird. I've, I got haven't used that stuff one yet. There, that's like kind of different. I guess it will probably be a tough choice between Pigments and Current, because those two are very different to the other options. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm, right. And it would be a tough choice between the two. I'd probably go with 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 current just because it's got like a couple of extra things, like the chord generators, the ARPs, and the effects are really, really crazy. And yeah, so that's <laughs> my it's long It's so interesting that you
0: say that because a lot of people who maybe I get this I get asked this question a lot, like, why would you choose serum when vital exists, or why would you use serum? And I, I mean serum to me is the alpha and the Omega for some reason it's just like everything you'd possibly need he did it in just one single version I mean obviously he's iterated it you know we're at you know how a couple of betas later but it still is the fastest workflow it has the cleanest sound the filters are the best yeah the uh, filters are pretty good That's, and that is true I don't, it, it's what 12 years old at this point or something like that it's I mean
1: 2014 it's, right when it came out was that is that right okay
0: so yeah 10 we are reached a decade um but no, wow, I, I, I do agree crazy. with you. Uh, Current is an amazing synthesizer, and they totally nailed it right out of the gate. Um, and yes, we had the the launch debacle. But after that, and when the dust has settled, like I, I keep using, I go back to Current, like, wow, this is such a great synthesizer. And it offers things that the other synthesizers that you mentioned do not do. Um but, yeah, I mean, they each have their place. Uh, you know, they yes, all four of those synthesizers that we mentioned all have wavetables on them, and they're wavetable synthesizers. But they, you know, to the more advanced user, they do completely different things.
1: Yeah, like what is, what is since I haven't used current yet, everyone's kind of talking about it as the big big thing, right? So what's the main selling point, you say, for, for that one? Like what what makes that one, I guess, different from either pigments or or serum? Like why, why would someone want to get that one? Because I, I kind of do, like, it's just the, I guess oh, I hate that word the gas right gear acquisition system like I mm-hmm. want to get it I have to have it at some point I have to collect it mm-hmm. but like if someone's kind of like looking like I don't know if I should get this one or this one what's the sell on uh, on current I, I would say for me like it's a couple of things uh, one of them is the
2: effects so not only is each each effects system insanely cool like morph EQ is ridiculous um for anything from just basic EQ stuff to full-on modal physical modeling to all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, the chorus that's even built in there, you can like turn it into a reverb, you can do all sorts of stuff. But each of the effects can be stacked multiple times. So you can, for example, take their uh, OTT, which is the fuse compressor, and just stack it nine times, for example. Like, um Whereas Vital, you can only do one of the compressor mm-hmm. or yeah, right. one in, in Serum one of the compressor etc I don't know why you would need nine OTTs but that's just, just you a, never a know one example exactly, exactly. <laughs> for, for me the thing is like having multiple reverbs bec- or multiple delays because then you can modulate between them mm-hmm. uh, a, a thing that I really enjoy doing is uh, modulating between multiple different delays because then you get like this rhythmic thing as well as this spacey thing um, whereas with stuff like vital, it's super complex to do that kind of thing because you have to actually modulate the times right. to very specific values and it becomes like a very uh, involving process. Whereas with uh current, it's like, okay, choose these two effects, modulate the mix, job's
1: done, you know? Right. And the ARP, um, like you're saying, that's, that's one thing with, with vital that kind of takes a little bit longer. Like I remember I was wondering, I was like, how, how are, how are ARPs kind of made or sequences? And then. Funny enough, I stumbled upon your video, and then that's where, you know, okay, we have to get the graph into 12, and I'm like, okay, oh, that's how they do it. Okay, then you put that on the pitch. I'm like, interesting. So I kind of see what you're saying where, like, you want a nice art for that, but, like, it can be done in Vinyl, but it just, you know, it takes a little bit more time, and you kind of have to think think about it a little bit more. If you want to change the scale, you know, set a couple minutes aside and go and grab the dot and kind of move it down and move it down and kind of so on and so forth, right? So that's the kind of thing
2: also there with Current is there's an arpeggiator system which has a really cool kind of random gate built in just a single knob that you can kind of turn to get random gates as well as you know random different melodic patterns and that kind of thing so it's these kinds of things you can do with vital using the mod remaps and all sorts of complex stuff but like yeah just the fact that it's a single knob job's done um they've thought about a lot of these kinds of things which i think are, are, are used often with modern music um and it just makes the workflow a little bit better i think how are the filters they're pretty good absolutely insane yeah 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 that that would be my next reason um to to sell the
1: to get the thing is the filters are really really good specifically the comb filter actually yes that's a big thing yeah not every comb filter is yeah. the same like the one in zebra is extraordinarily good hive is pretty cool too as well but yeah that's a good point that you brought up comb filters because not every synthesizer makes the comb filter or comb filters the comb filters the same, right? Some are a little bit different. Like it's easy to make some string stuff in, in Zebra, for example, but other ones it's kind of like you have to struggle with it just a little bit more.
2: One example is something I'm going to pull from a video I did not so long ago on Current, where it's actually a concept that's taken from a quite a common patch in the Eurorack modular world, which is a granular synth through a resonator, and then being processed. So the whole idea is that Current has a granular oscillator and then the comb filters can basically that's that's a resonator right so essentially what you're doing is you're using the granular synth to generate particles mm. and then you're resonating each of the particles with the comb filter so you're creating a kind of pad kind of drone type of thing with any type of granular noise um, but then furthermore because of like the way that morpheq is so advanced you can just add as many nodes and modulate them as you want you can kind of change the partials of the resonance of the comb filter so you know how comb filters have that kind of the the frequencies that yeah, are like they're boosted yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. the different harmonics you can actually mm-hmm. just remove them using Morphe eq whoa and like modulate cool. it and whatever. Cool. so it's stuff like this which is like you know it's you can do in all sorts of other more advanced synths, but the fact that it's like three kind of semi-simple processes to get this more modern uh, sound design technique, um, I think that's really cool.
0: Damn, well, minimal audio is going to love this episode. We should definitely <laughs> consider <laughs> having Jake <laughs> on the show. <laughs> wow! Um, so, you know, you mentioned modular synthesis. I know uh, you're really into modular. So, how do you incorporate modular into your workflow? Um, and the follow up question with that would when are we going to see the Dash Clish ambient album? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess it's
2: a, a difficult question. I kind of go through stages with the modular where I'll try to build a kind of live performance system where I could kind of like perform an entire uh, show's worth of music or something. Um, and then I kind of like scrap that idea and go into the kind of more sound design territory but it's it's a weird thing where i kind of keep it very disconnected from my usual music production world because Mm -hmm. i find that you can often get very lost in i guess like in the translation of the sound like sending it midi now i'm going to send it a midi pattern whereas if you're just exploring the wires and making weird drones and stuff and recording them as samples you can then just pitch that sample how you want or granularize it or whatever the right. case is and i'm finding myself doing uh, th- having better results doing that as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to connect you see a lot i see a lot of um modular artists specifically with bitwig that have like a multi channel midi output multi channel audio input mm-hmm. and then they'll actually have the project with oscillators running live in the project like they would with a plugin but for me, it doesn't really work so well because I guess also because I'm, I change projects very often. Like I go through like three or four projects at a time. Um, so I guess that wouldn't work in that regard. But also um, my uh, production process is very different to my sound design process. My production process can be quite chaotic at times, whereas my sound design process, I guess, is a little bit more methodical so when they clash they can kind of like not. it can kind of sound a bit cacophonous mm-hmm. so like for example like i'll have something that i've really um meticulously crafted like a bass sound and a kick sound mm-hmm. um and then the moment i try to incorporate a sound live from the eurorack it kind of just it gets lost in translation kind of thing whereas if i just scrap the idea of running a daw and just plug my headphones directly into the modular synth and just start making weird noises while it's recording and then listen to that afterwards. Um, just listening to that moment of time, I guess maybe it's a nostalgic thing. It's kind of like reminding me of the moment I had with the machine. <coughs> but I, I start to quickly get inspired by these little pieces of audio that I, I hear in the sample as opposed to trying to like line up the midi and you know all that kind of stuff.
1: Do you use VCV Rack or Voltage or anything like that? Do those kind of translate or is it kind of like now I have my modular in my DAW but is there something different about those two? I'm sure there is. Yeah, the At biggest difference you. I
2: would say between VCV Rack and
1: actual modular um is po- polyphony.
2: Polyphony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. and another one is patch recall. So, like, oh, the thing yeah. I hate the most is removing all the patch cables. If, if I have, like, an idea or an inspiration or something that I want to try, I will see, will it work in VCV Rack first? Because you can quickly throw something together. And I'm like, okay, this is going somewhere. And then I'll kind of develop that further in the analog domain. Mm-hmm. Have you tried Voltage? I have. I explored Voltage Modular quite a bit. Although, to be fair, now that I've um, been exploring um, or now that I'm fully um, on the Bitwig train, uh, Bitwig
1: Grid has pretty much replaced VCV
2: Rack and Voltage Modular for me. Mm-hmm.
1: I do want to ask you about Bitwig because there's a part of me... Ah, oh God, it's it's hard to say this, but there's a part of me that I, I downloaded the demo and I'm like, this is pretty cool. And you know when you're switching DAWs, I'm sure you've done it before, Like, it's, it's hard to learn the new key commands you, you, and you can't like go from your old DAW and say, like, why doesn't my old DAW, or why doesn't this new DAW do what my old one does? You kind of have to leave that past a little bit behind and then adapt to the new workflow. And there's a part of me that really wants to try Bitwig, especially because of the grid, because that's something I want to get lost in. And what, did you use something before that, right? Like you, used, was it Fruity Loops and then Bitwig for you? Or did you have something before that? Um, I was on Cubase for quite, Cubase. quite a few years, actually. Okay, so how was that process going from Cubase to Bitwig? Like, was it, was it a month process where you kind of start feeling comfortable and you can do whatever you want to do?
2: So, I guess um, it was, like, I think about five months. So, actually, rewind. When I was mu- working in the music shop many years ago, um, the local importer of Bitwig actually gave me a beta version of Bitwig 1, like, before it was mm. launched, like, many, many years ago. And, like, I tried that out, and I actually made a quick, like, video that I posted onto YouTube, like, maybe 10 years ago or something, or 11 years ago. Long deleted. Um, but so I'd first tried it out back then and it always been in the back of my mind like there was a couple of things in that door that was super promising so I always followed the development um, but around I think version 4 it really hooked my excitement with their introduction of the note grid because that's like the modular system specifically for MIDI so like mm-hmm. transforming MIDI stuff so you can make MIDI sequences modulation systems Um, all in a, in the modular domain and, um, coming from Cubase, which is like, uh, very much focused on the old school linear DAW, you know, just record audio in then even the MIDI is unstable in Cubase. (laughs) Um, coming from a door like that to something where you can create your own sequences with modular components and stuff, um, It was super inspiring. But the first few months, like the first, I'd say, five months or so um, from when uh, I first decided I was going to do it till um, I was actually comfortable. It was quite a struggle, but only because I was trying to, I guess, incorporate ideas from uh, like workflow ideas from Cubase into Bitwig and yeah. so only once I'd completely like removed myself from Cubase and said like, I'm not going to open any more projects. Those are all done. I'm just going to fully make the switch um, and dedicate time to learning, like relearning the workflow. Um, then it started to get more comfortable. Certain things started to make sense. Um, mm. Yeah. So when I was still, you know, when you're comparing two DAWs, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. the, the workflow things can be very weird to compare because it's like, I like this thing that this does. Yep. And I'm not quite sure if I like this thing that this does yet, but it's because it hasn't become a part of your workflow yet. You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. Yeah. I experienced that yesterday. (laughs) I was sorry to interrupt. I experienced that yesterday. I was, I work in uh, Ableton, you know, almost exclusively as you guys know. And then Uh, For the stuff we do with Ascendant, I've started working in Logic, and those two couldn't be more apples to oranges. I mean, they're completely different DAWs, um, and I found myself getting a little frustrated in Logic because in in things in Ableton, I can do super fast. But I know that Logic has its strengths. It's just a matter of just adapting to it and learning the language of the DAW, and then everything becomes easier. But it does take time. It's a process that you go through. Anyway. It's interesting how
1: people choose certain different DAWs and like it's it's cool now how there's not really there shouldn't be any DAW wars anymore right because at some at one point in time some were better at this thing some were better at that thing but it's kind of come to the point where they're all pretty pretty good at this point but that one thing about uh about big wig is is very interesting I think uh I guess if there's anybody watching that wants to switch a DAW or something like that what kind of advice would you would you give someone because that's a hard thing to uh, to leave an old one and go to a new one and why would someone do that too I
2: would say the biggest, I guess, for me, not not advice, but the biggest comparison would be how much are the third-party plugins uh, carrying the actual DAW. Um, Because at the point when I kind of made the switch, I had thousands of plugins on my hard drive currently being loaded every time I opened the project. And kind of as I'm using Bitwig more and more, I'm doing most of the stuff with the built-in stuff or one or two extra third-party libraries like the Killer Heart stuff or Melda stuff. But, I mean, there's so many uh, features that are kind of like built around the environment, I guess, the modulation system and all that, that can achieve what a lot of other plugins offer. So, for example... um, You can create any type of multiband process because, um, so, um, um, uh, is it Waves? I think Waves has a multiband transient shaper. There's a few companies that have one, but you can just take any transient shaper and just load it into the multiband effect and make a multiband transient shaper, for example. So you can make a lot of the stuff that exists on the market just using the the built-in stuff. And there's a lot of presets in the library that do it already. So one oh, of the biggest okay. things for me was like, I don't need this plugin anymore because not only can I do it, but there's a preset that replaces it, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Wow. That's interesting. So you can build your whole thing and then save that save that as a preset basically. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I think one of these days I'm going to have to make that jump. It's scary <laughs> though, Dash. Seriously. It's, it's a scary thing, right? <laughs> Like it, it sounds is, awful it saying it's scary for like a dog, but it is, man. Like you you get so – you spend so much time in one and then you just hop over it's the next one. It's one of those months. things – like I guess it's not any time.
2: It's like, for for example, with um, – if you've been using a specific DAW for a certain amount of years, it's in, it's money that you've actually invested in it. So it's it's like a painful thing to actually like give up on something that you've invested hard-earned cash on, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, but I would say it's um, – you know just go with it and try it out and and see how it goes you know um uh the 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 biggest thing for me was to just make sure that like any projects that were open i just completed before i actually made the step any kind of content that i was busy doing in cubase um i finished before making the step so i didn't have the urge to like open cubase again again before ah, okay. you know, i could just like make the dive completely
0: It's interesting how it has to be almost like a. you have to almost divorce your previous (laughs) DAW. I'm leaving you in the past. We're no longer going to work together. (laughs) It's not you. It's me. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that kind of thing. And then you just have to move on. It is like that,
2: you know, because like as as musicians, there's a lot of process that we rely on to um, fulfill like our creative vocabulary, for example, like um, whether it's presets, whether it's certain workflow things. And if one tool doesn't offer us um i've seen this in myself while while producing and um, i'll be like oh i have an idea let me open something do, 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 do. Oh, this is not working for me exit tool open a different tool do, 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 do. oh this is working for me so rather than trying to make it work in the first one going back to old workflow habits and if you have the ability to go back to the old one you'll you'll just do that so like if you're in, so, for example, um, I'm also trying out Ableton at the moment, and I'm kind of like playing with Bitwig and Ableton. And often I'll be playing in Ableton. I'll be like, oh, it doesn't do the thing that I wanted to do right now. I just open Bitwig and, and do it there because there's a process that I remember from there. But I'm mm-hmm. sure that there's a 100 ways to do it in Ableton. You
0: yeah. Know? So, um, John wanted to ask, uh, are there any plugins that you regret buying along the lines of, you know... Yeah, that's a hot, that's a hot topic, believe it yeah. or not. Yeah. Yeah. It really
1: is. Cause it's, it's, it's when we're m- minus Sakura. Yeah. So I don't know okay. what yours was. If there's like, and maybe it doesn't have to be a paid one, I guess. I mean, it could be, but if it's a free one where you get this, you're like, what, why did I get this and install this? Right. Yeah, that's, I'm kind of curious what you have there. <laughs> so,
2: um, a couple of the acoustic audio stuff I bought, um, and, it's not that it's bad, it's just that I don't use it because there's so much bloatware that's involved with it. I don't know if you guys saw the whole thing about uh, 10 gigs of extra bloatware just for their DRM whoa. software and stuff. and whoa. yeah, so I just I don't end up using the software just because it's too bloaty, and mm-hmm. um, I'm not going to have like 10 different compressors that are each like 50 gigs, you know it's just a oh, whole, whole hard full not happening um so i kind of regret that um because they're not cheap either and um i also regret maybe uh doing a couple of videos where i I recommended them because i don't use them as much anymore um so that's i guess another thing about being a content creator is like there's often these situations where like there's like hey there's this thing i'm really loving it right now and then like two three years down the line you're like oh i'm not loving it so much anymore Uh, sorry guys yeah yeah like you kind of feel bad about it but i guess like we just telling the truth as to what we know at the time you know so like i was loving it at the time um but now they have actually released a statement saying they're going to like sort something out they're going to try remove some of the bloatware so now i'm like okay maybe i'm not so uh (laughs) maybe i'm not so um you know maybe i will give it another shot let's see
1: let's see how it goes (laughs) yeah i mean that's yeah i get that i mean it's it's my computer is is I try to keep it as optimal as I can, and, and if there's something that I don't use, I'll uninstall it because there's no reason to have it on there. And then I see a lot of posts every so often, usually on different Reddit threads, where people are like, "I'm cleaning it. I'm doing some spring cleaning on my on my hard drive. and getting all this stuff out there, and it feels so much better." Pick your good EQs that you like, maybe one or two, or something like that. that you can rely on a, a compressor or two that you rely on, maybe your main sense in, in some effects. And at the end of the day, that's all you really need because you're. You don't need all these million plugins out there to to write something good. It's really on you, how you use your tools, right? If you're stuck with one or two synthesizers, you're going to force to be good with them.
2: Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, I guess it's like a lot of the time when um, I didn't realize that I was like not super happy with the quality of the tools that were in the DAW that I had at the time. So I was kind of compensating with third party plugins. So I'd buy a bunch of those. And now I find myself not needing to compensate as much because the tools are either good enough or allow you the possibility to make them better um, inside Bitwig. So I just don't find myself using as many of the tools, I guess. The wave That's stuff crazy. is another make example. It's like it's not super bad or anything. It's just that like I just don't have a use for them anymore. So I don't even bother installing them on the new
1: PC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean that makes that makes sense. Yeah. I try to do that myself, just kind of minimalist, I guess. Spring cleaning. That's cool. You can actually uh, m- like your make your tools better in bit. That's unheard of for me, right? The tool is the tool. How you're like, make
0: those a little bit better. That's I'm gonna do it one day. I swear to God. That's how it <laughs> you're should be. you here first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, along those lines, I think that's you know mm-hmm. some really good advice for beginning producers. Like you know, use what you have. I always tell that to people. Like the best synth is the one that's right in front of you. Yeah. Um, You know, but along those same lines, what uh, are some tips of advice that you wish that you knew? uh, Uh, when you first started your journey, that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's
2: such a tough one. I guess it's like, it's... um, The biggest one is that advice is always a guideline. I see specifically in the music uh, production thing, people are very specific with numbers. I'm like, oh, now I need to compress the bass. Now I need a sub under the kick, and now I need a this, and now I need a that. Um, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of like observing the context, um, people are kind of hyper focusing on like, uh, following the tutorials. And I think for me as, as a creator, for me, the message is not only just like follow the tutorial. It's also like try find inspiration in it. Um, that's why I also try to do a lot of like the weirder tutorials. It's not just like how to make a Skrillex base, you know, it's like. It's something that's going to, like, inspire somebody to, like, maybe think differently about the plugin that they have. Or maybe it'll inspire a developer to make a plugin that does the thing or who who knows. Um, But I feel like even for myself, when I first started, um, when I was studying uh, audio production, uh, sorry, audio engineering, when I studied... There was a lot of things that were taught to us that now are completely wrong so for example it's like in the analog realm uh on an analog console you were taught like never boost an eq rather cut and boost the gain of the channel or the volume of the channel because boosting an analog eq can create harmonic distortion so a lot of people will say like from uh they'll watch a tutorial or something of a guy mixing a band on an analog console and he'll say like oh never boost the mids and then that kind of misinformation will permeate a little bit and people will miss the opportunity to boost the mids in a digital eq um, and maybe use that as a sound design thing because it's illegal or it's the wrong thing to do because they saw it in a tutorial or something like that. And I guess maybe I'm guilty too because I've got content out there saying like, this is the way you have to do it. But <laughs> 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 the the message more is that like, I want to just inspire people to to do it rather than that there is one way. Does that make sense?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah, like I see those, those posts where it's like, all your stuff has to peak at negative six. And if it goes above that, it's, it's going to be wrong. It's like, not really. I mean, it's, it's all in the context of it. It's, at the end of the day, if it sounds good, it's okay. Right. There's, there's guidelines. Sure. That you kind of want to do. Right. I mean, on every input list, you're going to see the kick drum is going to be first. That's kind of just standardized, but it's like, you, you should learn when to kind of break those things. Or when people say you can't mix like this, you have to mix like this. Like there's, there's different, there's, cultural things that we do like kick bass and kind of build everything off the drums and add the layers and sense, put the vocal on top kind of thing but some people do it completely different some people start with the vocal and it's like not how i do it but hey if they get good results that's fine there's not really like a concrete rule like that
2: i think also sometimes like breaking one or two of the rules uh can help to uh create a sound or an aesthetic or part of your artistic sound you know like your the you know for example like Aphex Twin does like everything wrong but at the same time it all sounds right you know and yeah. um classical composers will be like yes they'll they'll analyze his works like if, as if it were a classical composition and that kind of thing but he's he's broken a lot of the rules and i think the magic is that like there's a lot of rules in there that he's followed, but he's like picked one or two to like break tastefully, you know. And so I think mm. that's that's one thing that that I try to do is to like follow a bunch of rules and then just like break one or two, so that it's like this sounds like a normal song, but what is this weird sound? Does that make sense? Right. <laughs> and Especially in gives the sound design round context, too. you know, because it's like it's not going to sound weird if it's all just white noise, you know. But if it sounds like a normal song and there's just one weird noise, it's going to be like, what is going on here? You know, how did you (laughs) make that? Is there a
0: tutorial on that? (laughs) (laughs) You know, speaking of tutorials, us three, as all of our viewers know, we all work in the music tutorial space. Um, I had a question for you regarding, you know, the future of your channel and and content. How do you feel? uh, First of all, what drives you as a content creator? Uh, to keep putting out new tutorials and new material? And then how do you see, number one, the music, sp- the music tutorial space on YouTube in general, and then how do you see uh, that shaping up with the future of your channel?
2: So I try not to think too far in the future mm-hmm. because things can change so quickly. Um, you know, new plugins come out and new uh, techniques I get inspired by new techniques like on the Daily. So I try not to think too far in advance. Um, I guess I get also get like waves of creativity where I'll sit and like over a couple of days I'll make like five tutorials that are kind of like uh, uh, in a sequence, you know what I mean. Uh, so, but then sometimes I won't feel too inspired and I'll kind of just sit and work on my own music. Um, for a couple of days after that and then i'll have a chance to kind of like release those few videos over the next two weeks or so and that gives me a a chance to kind of like uh what's the word to weather the drought so to speak Mm -hmm. um so that when i get inspired again i can kind of like uh catch the wave you know Mm -hmm. um i feel like um the important thing specifically with like being a content creator or creative in general is to like Try not set too big of a goal. Um, So, for example, don't say like, oh, my goal is to be a millionaire or to have a mansion in the hills or to drive a Ferrari or or whatever, whatever it is, to have a million followers or or whatever. Rather think on a micro level, think, okay, my goal is to finish this track, you know, because I feel like so many people get caught in the bigger picture And so many of us uh, struggle to uh, finish the track. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Or finish the album or just EQ the bass or, you know. So I try to think on on the smaller goals, you know, like edit this current video that I'm working on and think about the next one. Um, I do obviously have like a general um, sort of progression that I'm heading towards. But I also like to let my community kind of guide me in that regard. So the example is that as much as myself, I love Current and I'm using it a lot. um, I can see that not too many of my community members or viewers have Current. So there's no point in me spending the next six months putting out a million videos on Current. Um, And it's the same thing with Bitwig as well. You know, like I love bitwig and i i I will always put out content for it but it's important for me to kind of come back to serum and come back to vital um because i know that like that's what most of the people who watch my videos have and use um so i find often when i when i when i create um a goal that's too far in the future i can kind of sometimes forget the important thing you know and so i'll be like grinding away trying to do something and forget that like the viewers just want to see the good vital shit, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you, how, th- how that works out like that? Do you find that frustrating mm-hmm. as a creator? Like, cause you've pretty much laid the gauntlet down as far as vital tutorial videos go. Do you find it like, Oh, uh, like you just feeling like, ah, oh, I, I don't want to do another vital video. Um, I've pretty much covered every aspect of the synth there is the cover. Or do you find that like, once you sit on it long enough, uh, something new will open up and you'll find a new creative way to, to use the synth.
2: I guess sometimes it's like, sometimes I go through stages where I don't feel too inspired to go back to it, but sometimes it feels refreshing, you know, like if, uh, so one example is going back to Serum over the past few months has been super refreshing because I haven't really touched it in so long. I'm able to apply a lot of the new things that I've learned through exploring Vital and Faceplant into Serum. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, new techniques and stuff that I was able to apply and obviously get new results.
1: That's great. Wow. There's one thing I wanted to ask you on your on the last thing you were saying is when you're zooming in and trying to finish the track, right? This is something that I've personally struggled with for for a while. I, I'm, I think I'm getting better at it, but I think a lot of people also struggle with this as well. Where, you know, those times where you're sitting in your DAW and things kind of just magically get put together. It feels good. You got eight or 16 bars. I think you know where I'm going with this. And then you're like, where do I go? How do I make this a track? This sounds cool, but no one wants to listen to a 16-bar loop for over and over and over. Then you listen to it again and again, and then you kind of start losing the excitement for it because it's not as ex- exciting Right? you're kind of overstimulated. And then you close the session and do something else, and you just, people pile up those those uh, sessions. How do you deal with things like that? Uh, I guess, so
2: um, I, I used to actually struggle a lot with, uh hoarding projects you know and then i started doing this is actually something i heard in a mr bill podcast actually where he talked about doing a stock take of his projects where he went through his hard drive and every single project put in an excel document the bpm the tempo and what still needs to be done and one by one go through and finish it and so what what you end up is with a list and, like, one project is, like, in F minor still needs a baseline. And then you go down the list and another one is in, like, F minor has a sick baseline. And you're like, oh, wait. Yeah, you just put these two together and you've got a track with a sick baseline. Do you know what I mean? Wow. And there's so that. many connected dots that, te- that end up happening when you do those kind of stock take things where it's like, oh, there's this loop from this project that would actually work in this project that's just missing a loop you know and and these kinds of things and i kind of did that once or twice and now since doing that i kind of just try work more methodically instead of opening up a session and throwing ideas at the wall i try to throw ideas at the wall before opening the session so i just Mm. record loops and make samples and make all sorts of weird things compile libraries and so when the session comes i'm already like this is a thing I want to use in the song. This is a thing that's going to work. Um, th- th- does that kind of make sense? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, mm. I know
0: what I'm I want to do after to this after the show. I'm going to go make a spreadsheet <laughs> yeah. and start. Because I, I mean, a, as somebody who makes tutorials, like I, you know, you have those things where you build up to a point. And you're like, okay, that's cool, and you put it away in a folder, and then that just yeah. piles up. You got you know, <laughs> yep. 50 tracks that are just sitting there, and they're just collecting digital dust, really. And the craziest yeah, and the names thing is are that like too.
2: Yeah, the craziest thing is that well like what'll happen is like um I had a track that was in a key, but it just needed a breakdown or variation. And then I had another track that was like a break beatsy kind of thing. It was in the same key, same tempo. And I just like took that, bounced out the main part, and used it as a breakdown in the other track, and it was like boom, done. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it's like
0: these yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. So a lot of people know you for just being a, a trance producer, and I know you probably don't like that label, you know, like, well, people call me an ambient producer, but I can produce, produce much more than ambient. Um, what other genres are are you interested in? And Have you ever produced anything outside of Psytrance?
2: I'm interested in, in so many different styles of music. For me, it's less about a kind of specific genre and more mm-hmm. more about... And an artist i guess um obviously like psytrance is the main uh, my main passion but i actually listen to mainly um like hip-hop trip-hop breaks and that kind of thing like just like when i'm easy listening and that kind of thing um and i have like quite a vast background in, like punk bands metal bands and so i kind of vary i go through stages um I'm actually considering like doing a bit of a a pivot. So I've basically um almost completed um uh, my next Cytrance album. And then like I'm considering doing some kind of pivot. I'm not quite sure yet. But not trying to not be within any particular genre. Just mm-hmm. be like electronic music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> right. Cause I feel like that um that style of music is so much more accessible. Um, and I guess for me, it's just like, I just want to spread the music, spread the vibes, you know what I mean? So like, I guess a lot of people have this, um, there's a connotation to specific genres, you know, when people think Psytrance, they think, oh, you know, I'm not into that hippie stuff or whatever it is, you know, or, um, whatever the case is with any type of music, there's specific, um, Uh, connotations that i guess people have in their mind and they wouldn't listen to it based on their like pre-decided idea of of what it would be like and i guess just being labeled as like electronic music or something like that opens the doors to for people to open their own minds you know what i mean and listen Mm -hmm. to things yeah yeah
1: And that's a good point. That's like a, that's a dubstep thing for me, right? Because when I first started, I'm like, what is this? Like, I I didn't understand it. And then once you get more into synthesizers, you're like, wow, that's amazing how they did that. And it's it's almost, you, you open this door and you see the artwork behind, behind all that. Because I mean, some of these patches and some of those songs is insane and how they all work together. A lot of FM going on and making FM, as I'm sure we all know, is it's kind of difficult to make something sound really good, right? It's easy to, have, to make a bad sound in FM, right? So when you listen to these songs, it's kind of almost inspiring to kind of wonder how they made these, these kind of sounds. Which brings me to a question for you, is that there's different sounds that are easier to make for others. Like for, for me, basses aren't really that difficult. Some people, leads are hard for them. Like what's the hardest sound for you to synthesize?
2: Ooh. I guess it—it's a tough question because, um, as much as like I'd say bass is easy to synthesize, like I've spent the last ten years doing it every day, and I'm still finding new techniques. You know, mm-hmm. interesting. So, um, I guess not new techniques, but it's like there's still I f- still feel like I could fine tune it a bit. Does that make sense? Um, yeah but the thing i do find the hardest is um kind of more percussive spacey sounds so like um i'm trying to think of an example now there's a specific kind of glassy sound that uh, virus ti can make and it's very hard to like replicate in other digital synths so I guess, like, technically, that would probably be the hardest because there was one thing that could do it, <laughs> and nobody's been mm-hmm. able to recreate it since.
1: Interesting. Man. Yeah, that it makes is. a lot of
0: sense. I mean, there's there's things that I enjoy making. Obviously, you know, pad soundscapes are one of my stronger suits, but when it comes to, you know, filling things out in the upper register, making really creative stuff, like, it's harder for me to, I have to really think about it. And where I should probably just let it go, I should probably just, like, you know, plug in a bunch of cables in VCV rack and just try to do it. But, you know, sometimes things take a little bit more thought and care, you know, on a technical level. And I'm wondering yeah. if you had the same experience
1: too, Dash. So you said you, you went to school for, for learning engineering, right? So I did the same thing too back in 2012. And uh, looking back, probably not the wisest decision, but, you know, that's in the past. It's all good. Uh, moving forward from that, I feel that I learned more diving into synthesizers and reading dsp books and manuals than i ever did at a class is that something that you also face as well absolutely
2: absolutely so i guess at um in audio engineering you learn the fundamentals like you learn like what is a compressor um what are frequencies uh how sound works like uh, you know how the audio v- volume is like logarithmic or, or whatever the case is you you learn the fundamentals, but they don't teach you uh the saw wave where the filter goes brr, do you know what I mean mm. and that's the kind of thing that um I guess most uh modern sound people want to know um, so yeah like i for me it was it was cool and like um the information was good, but it wasn't very practical. Because I still found myself like at square one, like okay, I still need to figure this all out by myself. Do you
1: know what I mean? Yeah, there's a lot of self homework that you that you have to do, and and I'm kind of wondering: is there certain certain moments where things kind of just click? Like I remember a specific one for for me when I was reading a DSP book, and it, and it was like every sound we hear can be broken up to sine waves and different phases and different pitches. And that's one of those times where I'm like, wow, that's... Mm-hmm. And then once you kind of know that, then sound design becomes a little bit easier. Do you have anything like that? Or maybe advice that someone gave you that kind of... One of those aha moments where you kind of level up, right? Because we plateau often, but something kind of like that.
2: Yeah, that that particular one, the um, harmonic series uh, representation of the saw wave was like one... That, that mm. thing you're talking about now was one big light bulb moment for me. Um, but also, I guess related to that is the uh, the theory of intervals so that like we generally hear sound based on its intervals so if you remove any of those partials in the harmonic series you won't be able to tell audibly that there's a missing partial because you have intervals in the other partials and so what that means is like you can just remove one partial and replace it with something else um and, and the, the sound won't exist, and so there won't be any kind of EQ clashing or anything like that. And the reason that this is uh, significant is because, specifically for like a kick and a bass sound, if you remove the single fundamental partial of a harmonic series, which is represented by a saw wave, you're, you still hear the same sound, it's just that you don't have that low sub. And when you have a kick's tail already there, what happens then is you're just replacing the fundamental that you've removed from the saw wave with the sub of the kick. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So you're going to so get a strong, you no stronger longer have to worry. way. Yeah, and you no longer have to worry about EQing the one because of clashing compared to the other and that kind of thing. Because that frequency
1: just doesn't exist at the same time as the other one. Yeah, that's an interesting Way to think about it as well. I mean, do you ever dive into additive synthesis? Because that's kind of in that territory a little bit. Do you ever do that at all? So for me, like the results that I generally get from additive synthesis,
2: like in real time, don't quite fit the type of uh, tones and sounds and stuff that I'm looking for. Um, But that being said, like understanding the principles of it um, helped me to create better like wavetables and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing, which I use as subtractive synths Mm -hmm. so the idea of the the harmonic series and removing the fundamental thing that is like a technique of additive synthesis um so i generally i use that but i don't often uh, use an additive synth because you know when when you start to pitch shift the partials and do all sorts of stuff like that um it starts to get a little bit too atonal
1: and the type of sounds that I go for are kind of a little bit more tonal, I guess. Right, and if there's... So th- this is, ever, I guess, the, the, where the conversation went here, it's getting a little more technical, technical right? So if someone's kind of watching this and they're kind of confused of of, of what, what Dash is saying, is there any places that you would recommend for people to learn all this stuff or maybe certain tutorials you have or some that you've watched that have helped help you out there? Like where can someone go to learn this type of material? Uh, it's, I would say... Um, It's one of those things where you kind of just have to, like,
2: soak it in. There isn't, like, one source um, that explains it all. Um, A lot of it can be quite easily explained, like, just searching and finding that, like, Wikipedia article. um, Specifically, like, additive synthesis and that kind of thing. There's a lot of stuff on Wikipedia that just explain it in very basic terms. And that can be, like, understood and
1: represented in subtractive synths or anything like that, really. That's a good point, especially on the Wikipedia article. That that reminded me that I was on a binge of Wikipedia, looking at audio stuff and in synthesis. And then one of the first recordings was, I think it's from Bell Labs or Alexander Graham Bell, right? And he recorded his voice on a wax cylinder from like the 1800s or something, and you could hear it. And it's so crazy how far back that goes. And they fast forward to our time, where we're talking about partials and harmonics and removing the fundamental to get the kick bigger. It's crazy <laughs> how fast technology has has gotten at this point. I mean, do you see this going any? further from where we're at right now like do you see maybe ai coming into this and kind of switching the game up so
2: i think ai is such a vast topic on its own you know we could probably talk about like the the ethics of it and and stuff for hours um i think at this point it's not really poised to enter the market too much i feel like the kind of tools and stuff that ai offers at this point in time are are very basic or they're very surface level you know it's more just like um sets of commands as opposed to actual artificial intelligence mm-hmm. um, so I'm yet to see anything that could uh potentially like come into the market and actually like do anything that's gonna change the course of music um, but I see the the <clears throat> the the future of music um I'm seeing a lot of tools lately. For more workflow-oriented stuff, stuff like just one example is like scalar, being able to like quickly pull up a bunch of chords and that kind of thing. So I'm noticing like the kind of more mainstream popular music uh, has a lot more chords and scales and that kind of stuff in it. I'm not sure if it's due to the fact that like more tools offer that kind of thing to people who wouldn't re- usually have access to it. Um, so I think it's those kind of tools which are changing. The way that music is being made. Um, I mean, if we look at like r- modern bass music and stuff, the a lot of the sound design relies very heavily on like spectral processing and vocoders. Um, t- okay, vocoders is a bit is a bit older technology, but only recently um do we start seeing as advanced vocoders as like we do now. Um, but also spectral processing. Um, is quite a recent uh, boom, I would say. So plugins like Pitch Map and that kind of thing basically um, spurred the kind of evolution of an entire genre, like color base. Um, So I think it's stuff like that, like the tools pushing uh, new developments in sound design, which would like shape the future of music, as opposed to something like AI, because... At the end of the day, the developers most of the time are musicians, you know, like um, the example of, um, like, um, what's that one? Dawson Love. Mm -hmm. That's one that I've been using a lot lately. um, And it's just so easy. You just put it on and it just always sounds good and it's an example like a lot of these developers are musicians they're into the type of music that like we're into as well so it's most likely that they're going to make the tools that they would use to shape the future of the genre as opposed to um some code knowing what that would be or some robot knowing what that would be you know because a lot of these things are inspired by stuff that is happened in the past and I think like taste is something that you can't really calculate you know like if we say I'm gonna inspire something by this little piece of history and mash it up with this sample and create like a culture mash the taste involved in choosing those two pieces is it can't be done by a robot and can't be explained by a robot because It's the type of thing that, like, there's feeling involved, you know? It's that, like, this thing, Mm. this piece of history means something to me. This uh, sample from culture, it reminds me of the music that I listened to as a kid. It's nostalgic. Poof, mash them together, and it means something else. That robot doesn't
1: know what that meaning is. So there's no way that AI could replace that kind of thing. It's reassuring to hear you say that because, you know, it's it's this whole new thing that's kind of captivated almost every area that we can think about. And sometimes I think with we think is like is this technically artificial intelligence right because we're giving it commands to do something but is it actually thinking for itself because you know growing up you see these movies like artificial intelligence ai taking over and it actually thinks for itself it's like its own entity. So is that technically where it's at or is it a thing where we give it the information and it just does the best with what it has. Right? That's kind of how I how I see it at the moment.
2: I think for me intelligence is less about like the process of thinking and more about the process of in intuiting of intuition so it's like the the robot won't just know a beat is sick because it grooves do you know what i mean it's going to be like trying to calculate what the tempo is and what the key is and all these types of things but it could just be like a burst of white noise and a sine wave and a bleep bloop but just it happens to be at the right time so it grooves you know
1: That is a really good The robot's not going
2: to know that, you know. Damn, that's interesting.
1: (laughs) Chris, is there any questions you want to ask Dash? I I, I just have to
0: say that was such a great answer um, to that question, you know, because I do feel like AI, there's, they keep, you know, touting the fact that this is a smarter model. This is a smarter model. And we're moving towards this age where, you know, robots, as you call them, or computer, you know, machine learning models are getting smarter, but at the same time, uh, the, the real goldmine is in the feeling and the depth and the intuitive nature uh, that we have as human beings to contextualize not only our, our history, but music itself. Uh, and that's something that I think we're probably pretty far off of. But I think we'll see in the next five, 10 years, you know, that sort of those two things sort of coming closer together as the as the intelligence gets more accurate And as our ability to use these tools gets more, you know, in our hands uh, and, you know, gets into the hands of real musicians, we're going to see a huge wave of just new tools coming out and new ways to express ourselves. And hopefully, um, like we've discussed, you know, it'll be more in not only just the creating the music, but the ways that we create music, you know giving us opportunities to create music in different and unique ways, things that we haven't even thought of yet. I think that's real. That's the real excitement of the future for me.
2: I think if, so. it, if, if the power is grasped, um, it can be used uh, effectively. So like my example is like in AI art, something like uh, Midjourney or ChatGPT, you have to supply it with a prompt. And the prompt is essentially... A piece of culture or something that you've thought of it's your intuition and Mm -hmm. it's supplying its database of knowledge so it's the crutch in the system is complemented by you supplying that piece of intuition by giving it the prompt and i feel like and and then furthermore like you could then take that image as inspiration and then paint a picture or whatever the case is, something that I've seen used quite effectively in the art sphere is artists using AI to generate multiple different compositions of an idea that they have. So they can see like, instead of painting it a hundred times, they'd be like, I want to see it from a hundred different angles. And then, okay, this is the best one. Paint this one. Does that make sense? I've seen tattoo artists use this quite effectively as well. There's quite a few apps that can do this kind of thing like, quickly mock up different tattoo things and stuff, um, which they then put their own artistry on top of. Um, And so I feel like there are tools that exist in music, like um, the audio modern uh, sequences, they're smart randoms. I believe there's a bit of some kind of machine learning sprinkled in there where Mm. it reads your preset database and makes choices based on what it thinks you will choose based on your presets and then you can actually even go in there and choose which presets you like the most and stuff and so again it's not true intuition and true intelligence because you're still supplying it with that intuition of like this is the preset i like Mm -hmm. you know
1: what i mean wow that is really interesting Mm -hmm. i do have one more question for you for you dash so if someone is starting off with their journey they want to become a sound designer, make, make some patches. And I remember how hard it was, right? You know, what synth do you pick? How do you make this? What are all these buttons and knobs doing all that? I was pretty happy with starting with, with Serum. I thought it was a good uh, good synth to really kind of understand stuff visually. But now things have, have evolved, quite, evolved quite a bit. So what would you recommend to a beginner who's like, I want to get into this. I have a little bit of money to spend. What synthesizer should be my first one to kind of learn the fundamentals?
2: personally I would say spend the money on like uh headphones or monitors and go with vital and reaper until you can afford the the license um but just because I feel like the monitoring hearing what you're doing is more important than what tool you're using and by the time you get to the point where you're spending money on plugins you will understand that do you know what I mean so like for Mm. example um uh if somebody's got like um, like budget headphones, you know, there's no point in buying a plugin that resynthesizes the subs of something because they're not going to hear what it's doing on the budget headphones, for example. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say stick to the budget on the plugins until you have a decent monitoring setup. Then I would say um, the first thing is the DAW um, because then um, you can start learning it, you know. I mean, if you choose Reaper, go for it. It's great. Um, <clears throat> but in, invest in the DAW first because then you start learning it. You start learning the key commands and all that kind of thing. And then at that point you'll be like, maybe I don't need XYZ plugin because... ABC plugin would actually fit my personal style better. Does that make sense? Mm. So I feel mm-hmm. like there's yeah, so absolutely. much choice um, in the in the artistry when when we can actually like understand things a little bit better. You know, and there's so many tutorials that are like, <laughs> I'm I'm just as guilty that are like you need this plugin. <laughs>
0: <But> actually, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we all are. Uh, I mean, that's
1: a good point, and I'm sure people are going to ask is. is you're talking about the monitoring. So what kind of headphones would you recommend to a beginner to try out? I know they're a very personal thing, right? People can make great mixes on not so good headphones or people can make horrible mixes on really, really good headphones. So it's a personal thing that you have to get used to. Is there one that you would suggest for a beginner, maybe comfort, maybe just how the EQ curve is on that on that pair of headphones?
2: So I would say um, comfort is a, is a big thing just because you'd obviously mm-hmm. be listening to the headphones for a long period of time. Um, And for me, that was that was the choice, like why I went for these ones, because I've got quite big ears and um, I never really felt comfortable wearing many of the other headphones. So I just ended up not. I ended up using speakers most of the time instead. But it's good to have both references. Um, So a couple of the, the brands or models that I would suggest. First and foremost, I usually suggest open back headphones just because they give you a little bit more of an acoustically correct uh, representation of uh, your sound. Generally, a uh, a closed space will have a resonant characteristic of a certain frequency. It'll resonate and that can boost frequencies or cut frequencies or whatever the case is. Um, so often with the closed back headphones, they do sound more subby um, and they in turn also do create like vibration on your head sometimes if you're listening to them too loud. So I generally right. recommend open-back headphones. They just sound more natural, more like speakers, except if you're in a noisy environment. So if you're producing, if you're in like a a dorm or a student vibe or if you travel a lot or something like that, then open-back is not an option. Um, so, yeah, I would say the big choices are those the rest is up to personal taste um, and comfort i guess um some of the stuff that i've uh, used in the past that i've had really good experience with um and actually working in the store i sold thousands of them and ev- almost every customer was happy is the, uh akg k240 i think they are mm. k 22 something man for the price you do not get better open back headphones than those They're not the most comfortable, I'll be honest, and they're a little bit flimsy, but the quality, uh, sound quality for the price, is phenomenal. Um, They're not too far, like in quality wise, from like the Bear Dynamics, but the Bear Dynamics just have the extra edge in terms of uh, slightly more clearer upper frequencies and slightly more natural lower frequencies. The AKGs feel like they're a little bit mid boosted. Still, both great, accurate headphones, um, right. and obviously the bear Dynamics are like just really, really comfortable. So my yeah, those my get a good personal, reputation. Yeah, my personal top choice would be the Beyer Dynamic DT880 Pros or 770s or whichever other yeah,
1: whichever other models. Interesting. There's a thing that I I feel kind of bad that I used this, but a long time ago I had those 7506s for a long time, right? those monitoring headphones of Sony's. And for some reason, like my ears would always get fatigued and then my mixes wouldn't turn out good with those headphones. And I kept searching. I'm like, what is the problem? Not knowing it was going to be the headphones, right? And I found some different software out there that would correct your headphones. And then I I was like, okay, this has the model for the 7506s. And then I started mixing based off that and the mixes did get better. Absolutely. But then I was in a bind anywhere I didn't have that software. I was kind of dependent on that. So if I went on a gig and I plugged, put my headphones on, I had no idea what I was listening to. It was a completely different curve. It sounded like a new pair of different pair of headphones. So is that something that you had to face personally, or or did you ever never open that door at all? Yeah, so I do. um, I'm not sure if it was the
2: same software that you you tried. I'm using Sound ID Reference. It was previously known as Sonarworks. Um, I've had really good experiences with it, but generally speaking, what I do is I will monitor with and without. So Mm -hmm. um, I have a separate pair of DJ headphones, um, like uh, the Sennheiser HD25s, and for some reason with those, they're just like the most forgiving headphone. Like anything just sounds good on them. It's it's crazy. And so I find like if I do a mix in in my speakers and my bare dynamics and I listen to the track in the HD25s, it sounds normal mix, like flat frequency. So I don't notice the missing... Uh, the missing correction does that make sense mm-hmm. but on the contrary if i listen to that same track without the correction on the bare dynamics it's like what is happening here everything sounds wrong does that make sense yeah so i think it's yeah, just that we yeah. get used to that sound that we know but if it's a completely different environment i.e different headphones different environment different context sometimes it that can kind of uh, ease the gap a little bit and maybe it's why the sennheiser hd twenty five are so popular for djs as well
1: yeah. And it's also a reason why I've kind of concentrated a lot on headphones as, as the times have changed, right? Most people would, they'd always reference on speakers and then like they put the headphones on. Okay. Does this is sound right? Okay. Maybe bring the snare down a little bit and then they bring the snare down, you know, and finish the stuff on speakers. But as we have home studios now and everyone's kind of more so on a budget now, you know, this, you can't really afford really expensive speakers that are out there. Plus you have to do the room. You have to treat your room. You know, I have to, you have to really think about that cause you're going to get some phase cancellation, right? I'm sure we've all sat there mixing a the song and we're like, where's the bass at? And then you move your head a little bit backwards. Like, Whoa, there it is. Right. So you're sitting in a spot and it's all canceling. So that's why it's kind of interesting how we're mostly on headphones nowadays. And then we'll sometimes check things on speakers. Right. And sometimes that can be misleading because they're like, do I need a sub? Maybe, maybe you don't. Right. So that's kind of just the topic I want to pick your brain about, especially with headphones, because that's a very personal thing. And that's something that it's hard to really switch those out once you get used to them, you know. So I I actually work the other way
2: around. I, I work mainly on speakers and then I kind of double check on headphones. I think I'm also maybe just it's a comfort thing. I don't enjoy wearing headphones for long periods of time. But I think it's also just the style of music that I make. I'm so used to listening to it. On big speakers And I think also it's There's something about it That requires The kind of in- Acoustic environment You know There's a lot of Panning A lot of Space Stuff happening And often in headphones uh, Reverb is like A little bit Accentuated Or you hear it differently yeah. In headphones Than you do on speakers And I kind of have this idea That like Most of the time My music is being enjoyed Kind of like At a festival Or at a club Or um, at on a set of speakers as opposed to a pair of headphones because it's kind of more loud, uh, I guess, EDM or electronic music um, as opposed to kind of more easy listening stuff. And even myself, when I'm listening to music on headphones, I very rarely choose Psytrance just because it's it sounds a bit different on headphones, you know. I don't know. It kind of needs the atmosphere.
0: <laughs> this whole interview has been really <clears throat> inspiring and informative, I had no idea we we're going to land on a topic about headphones, but here we are, you know, it's like, sure <laughs> it is. but you know, Dash, you've been so generous with your time and, uh, I'm really, uh, excited to see where you take your music and your channel in the future. And again, uh, from all of us, thank you so much for all that you give, uh, to the community. And, uh, yeah, it's, we're, we're honored to have you with us. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me.
2: Thank you for your time. I really appreciate that having me on
1: and allowing me to blabber relentlessly.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. We all
1: enjoy it. And if someone's out there looking to learn from you and become better themselves, where can they find all your stuff at? So I'm on YouTube, Dash Glitch. Yeah. I've got uh, masterclasses
2: for sale on my Shopify. Otherwise, most of that information is available on my YouTube as well. Um, Obviously in shorter content form. And yeah, I
1: also do sound packs and that kind of thing. So yeah, check me out on YouTube. Awesome. We'll put all those links down there in the bottom. And thank you again, Dash. And thank you, everybody, for watching. And we'll see you in the next episode.